Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this next episode of Woodbury Voice. We had some mix-ups with our sixth episode, and as I transitioned into my final fall semester of classes for my second master's degree, unfortunately the podcast fell by the wayside for a bit. But we've returned with an incredible episode I know you'll all enjoy, and that'll be the start of a new chapter for this podcast and its engagement with the Woodbury community. I got to sit down with Dr. Stanley L. this afternoon, and he brought some incredible insight into how we as a city, especially the adults, can collectively engage and develop Woodbury's youth for more intention and more passion and with better outcomes for our community as a whole. I really want people to glean a few things from this episode. Number one, as Dr. L would state firmly, the youth in this city, who compromise almost a third of the city's population, are the wealth of our future and the way we move forward together. Number two, the youth are not the burden bearers alone of the weight of today's problems and is just as much up to the adults and current leaders of our city to make strides in achieving new benefits for Woodbury as it is for the youth to carry on that legacy. And number three, we can all make a difference and it's of the utmost importance for us to remember this as we carry on throughout our lives because something simple that we say or we do can have a lasting effect on generations to come. I hope that this episode enlightens you on how to do your part, share your gift, and not just uplift the city's youth as the leaders of tomorrow, because we're here now and we're ready and willing to make a difference. Enjoy listening. So I'm here with Dr. Stanley L., Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Jared. You know, it's kind of like one of these things where I'm going, what? I'm going to (laughs) be sitting down doing a podcast with Jared. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I won't put you on the spot too much. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to be able to to have you here. So let's just jump into it. Tell me how you got involved in Woodbury. I know that you've been here for a really long time, but where did that all start for you? (laughs) Gee. um, I did say I wasn't going to put you on the spot. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's a matter of where to start the story Mm -hmm. because... I moved to Woodbury because it was close to Philadelphia, Center City, Philadelphia, and the airport. And the real estate was the right price, (laughs) you know. Uh And uh, at that time, or prior to coming to Woodbury, I was in a condo that we had owned. And I had started my business in the condo. And it grew Mm -hmm. to a point where we outgrew the condo, Uh you know. So it was kind of like a time to find a place. And there were a lot of good properties, you know, nice-sized properties around the area I was in. I was in Burlington Township, but it was kind of like uh, not necessarily in the place I wanted to be, and the prices, pricing was pretty high. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to maintain my profit margin. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money to move, even though the business was successful. I had a lot of cash at hand, that sort of thing. Okay. So what happened was I, I moved, I had visited Woodbury. A friend of mine was on Aberdeen, and he okay. was... Uh, the chief financial officer of a company that I was consulting for. You know, so I visited him. He had this nice three-story mm-hmm. Victorian house. And we were back and forth for a while. And then he said, hey, you should come to Woodbury. I said, well, it looks like a nice place. I roamed around and you could see, you know, Center City, Philadelphia. You could right. see the planes coming into the airport. I said, you know, this might be a nice spot. But then it was a matter of finding a property. And there was a property kind of diagonal from where he lived. And it was boarded up. So it needed some work. Anyway, I wanted to see it. So I went in and took the wife with me. She got inside the door and ran out <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. You know, the place was in shambles. Uh-huh. So it, it was a nice property. It was well built. It still was well built, mm-hmm. but it needed a lot, a lot of work and that wasn't going to happen. So anyway, we kind of said, yeah, let's back off a little bit. But then the house 
almost directly across the street from my friend went up for sale. And it was owned by an older lady that was a doctor, had retired. And it was right next to this other property. And, hey, we put the bedding on it, and yeah. next thing we're moving in. Totally revamped it. It was three stories with a basement. We lived in the top two floors, okay. and the business was on the first floor in the basement. Just started bringing staff in. That's kind of the story for the business. But what happened, and that was in 1990. In 93, our second daughter was born. Uh-huh. All right. Now, at this point, the business is about to go viral. We got, mm-hmm. I mean, we're about to take off. You know, right. this pretty aggressive plan. We already were national. But it was taken it to another height because I had become so popular in the particular industry I was in that I wanted, wanted to leverage it. So mm. I was looking at publishing, doing speaking engagements, in addition to doing business development and marketing, which is what the company did. Right. Right. So, and we had national clients and just ready to start putting things together. And the daughter was born. Yeah. Right. Now, at this point, it's kind of like mm, I had a seven-year-old and a newborn. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> I had no qualms about just pulling a plug on the business. Wow. I just pulled the plug. Now, when you have a high capacity, you know, like I still do, you have, you're busy all the time. You're active. Yeah. You're moving, doing things all over. And well, anyway, because I had pulled the plug in the business, I still had this high capacity. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. in prime time still, right? Mm-hmm. So I started volunteering. And, and how it really happened was uh, someone had come to our office from the Gloucester County Economic Development. And I think he was an assistant to the director. I don't recall how he got to our office, but I sat down with him and he said, you know, you would be good in economic development. I didn't know what economic development was. Uh (laughs) At least I thought I didn't. Right, right. So I said, okay, that's good. Then I volunteered. I was on the overall economic development board with Sam Papalardo. I don't know if he's still around or not. Mm. And he... uh, you know, it went well as far as me participating, but then they asked me to be chair of the Municipal Mobilization Assistance Program, which was a program to get uh, local municipalities mm-hmm. involved in economic development. Right. Right. So I literally went to all 26, I think, municipalities and visited in to Gloucester try to County. get them to jump on board in right. Gloucester County to get them to jump on board to do economic development. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, I was holding up these holding these forums and you know, doing all this crazy stuff and putting together programs and next thing I know, you know, Phil for Inquiry had come out, you right, know. Right. You know, they're interviewing me and stuff. And then we got a National Economic Development Award for Gloucester County. As a result of that, Sam uh, went through the county, had invested some money in me to do a TV pilot hmm. and I was asked to do some writing for the newspaper. And hmm. I went to Gloucester County Times and they jumped on board. I ended up writing for like I think it was like 13 different newspapers in total. Anyway, the Gloucester County and the Courier Post kind of drew a lot of attention to me. So the next mm. thing happened was Main Street right. reached out to me to help with the G.G. Green. Um, I think at the time was Fashion Bug, and they had closed down. The right. building was available. And This is on Broad. In Broad Street, right. right. And they were looking for someone or a group of people to help them with writing proposals up for grants and mm. blah, blah, blah. And I ended up doing that with Bob Law, who was the CFO. Right. He was new at the time. So he and I teamed up. Then he found out I had disability. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it kept going. Next right. thing you know, the Merchants Association was tapping on you know my shoulder. And there were a couple of other organizations like the local chamber. Right. Not just here at Woodbury, but other places. Okay. Uh, Paulsboro Business Association, hmm. um, the local rotaries and stuff like that. So... I started just doing more volunteering because, right. you know, I could still do the business because I scaled it down to literally nothing. Mm. All the national clients, for the most part, went away. 
mm. uh, but not totally until about 1998. Okay. And I was still doing some work. Like I picked up Pilot Air Freight, which is a big national heavyweight air freight company. Hmm. And um, I think I did some work at Icon after that and eventually just became all local. Now, I might say I was making a lot of money doing the national companies. It, it has not become that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it all scaled down pretty much, right. pretty quickly. Yeah. But that was okay. But that's how I got involved locally. But hmm. then the youngest daughter yeah. you know, got older. And I think by the time she got to be six, she wanted to be a Girl Scout. And that to me was the ultimate right there. At the time, there were no Girl Scout troops in Woodbury. So the office was not too far from here outside of Woodbury. And uh, I went over and I talked to them. And they said, well, you know, there's no troop in the area, but you can start one. Okay, cool. Yeah. At the time, they told me, uh, Jared, they said, well, it's pretty hard. You have to be trained. No Mm. big deal. Uh, It's hard to get volunteers, hard to raise money, hard to get girls. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so what? You know, that had right. anything to do with it. My daughter wants to be in a troop. So. Right. <laughs> so I put together a little program, marketing program, and went to the, the Woodbury School System. They put out some flyers. Ended up with 19 girls. Wow. Yeah. Ended up with 19 girls, 26 volunteers, and I think like 12 business sponsors. And very quickly. Sure. Like within like a month, two months, that happened. Really? R- yeah, right. That's insane. <laughs> it is insane. Yeah. Well, it wasn't to me. Sure. But it was for them it was. For them, because yeah. They called me into the office and asked me to be regional chair after that. <laughs> <laughs> so I became the regional chair of the Girl Scouts wow. for about three and a half years while I was running the uh, local troop. Right. Uh, the local troop, that whole experience got me on the front page of, I think it's Gloucester County Times, the current mm-hmm. post. I think it was Gloucester County Times. Being this hero, they claim me as a hero. I'm like, I'm, what am I a hero for? You right. know, I don't know you what I'm a hero a for. But Girl Scout troop, th- yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just a dad. Any other dad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was pretty cool because the mayor came out and supported us at the time. It was Donald Sanderson? Mm. We were having our first ceremony, giving out badges for the girls. And actually, what happened with him was I had all 19 girls write him invitations to our ceremony. Ah, uh, okay. So he had literally 19 right. envelopes come to his desk. <laughs> right, right, right. No way was he going to and deny. 19 reasons not to show up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. So he showed up and supported us, and, and that kind of took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Beyond that, between the Girl Scouts and the economic development, which turned to the more business development kind of stuff, that's kind of how I got involved in the community and just took on more and more responsibilities. After the overall economic development committee for the county was dissolved into the WIB, the Workforce Investment Board. Okay. And so I was on the WIB, and I, I headed up the youth councils as a chair. So I got more involved in youth, okay. and that led me to the Boy Scouts, so the New Jersey Boy Scouts Council. Oh. Steve Leonardi was the, the executive in charge of the Learning for Life Explorer program, which is career and character development. So he you know, discovered me and the Girl Scouts and said, you know, you're doing all this stuff you know, with the council, youth council, you're doing all this stuff with the Girl Scouts, you might be a good fit for Learning for Life. Now, that was kind of a major thing for me because... It was about character and career development. And at the time, it was really resonating with me because, you know, I had started business right out of high school. I've been very active in high school, Mm -hmm. you know, dancer, writer, martial arts, singing, putting together movements and things like that. And a friend, bunch of friends of mine, we got together and um, started a business right out of high school. I delayed going to college, right? Mm -hmm. I said, I'll take a year off before I go. I got accepted to. Rutgers for Business Administration and Point Park for Architecture. Okay. But I didn't go. We started the business out. The business was very successful. And so within like two years, I started consulting. I had my first consulting gig. Well, having that background, 
kind of prepared me very well for being in the Learning for Life program right. because I understood what it was to create a career sure. and develop a career right. firsthand knowledge, right? So I was a gun ho about jumping yeah. in. So I did the school to career program. It was a strategy I put together to reach out to local businesses and organizations to get them on board to support providing opportunities mm. to um, young people okay. to get in careers. Well, I did that as kind of just a volunteer. Then the, the Boy Scout Council asked me to be the chairperson for the Learning for Life Explorer program. <laughs> Naturally. Because <laughs> you had plenty of free time. <laughs> as far as they were concerned, that was my free time. Right. Yeah, so I, I jumped into that, and I took it on. I learned a whole lot. I was a Boy Scout when I was younger, so mm. I had that going on for me. But the, um, the career and, and character development part of it really resonated with me because I could talk about virtues and morals and ethics in addition to careers and business, yeah. and it was a perfect match. That, yeah. That's the, the whole thing was that. Hmm. And I was always a big proponent of, of good business practices, you sure. know, um, virtues, morals, ethics, mm. those kind of things, which right. really didn't exist a whole lot in the business world, and that's a whole other story. <laughs> but because of that, I was able to do a lot more, and I felt comfortable. It was very impactful. Anyway, I also got asked to go to Camden. You know, my sister initially asked me to come to Camden to do some kind of presentation at some, I think it was a career fair or something like that. And I did. And it was for an alternative school. And I got there, I had my stuff laid out and, you know, some young brothers were there and they're looking at my stuff. And now I said I was in, active in high school, right? So right. I was an artist. And a lot of my stuff back from then I had in, on display, it's basically graffiti. You know, I uh, could paint okay. and draw, but... They could relate to it. Sure. Right? So it was kind of cool they related to it. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't thinking like that. I was just showing off what I did right. throughout my life. And th then they would see what I was doing as, as a professional in the business. Mm -hmm. And they would see these massive ads and go, wow, you know, they, it really resonated yeah. with them. And uh, having that experience kind of started steering me towards the more disadvantaged kids. Right. Right. And this was after talking to my sister about it, because at that time, I was pretty much vibing and wanting to be a dad for sure. Right. So I'm looking at maybe going back, going to school, you know, mm -hmm. and I said that to my sister. She said, no way. And I'm like, <laughs> no way. I'm, you know, go to school, get a degree. What's wrong with that? Right. Well, she said to me, well, you just went and camped and showed these kids that they didn't need to go to college. That gave them hope. And I went, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's <laughs> a good point. Ooh, it's a powerful point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so from there on, I just started kind of rethinking how I was approaching things with the kids. Right. Then another friend of mine uh, was called in to work with a, a program from the Department of Labor and Camden County Prosecutor's Office. Mm. It was called Camden Community Connections, and it was a youth program. And these particular youth were adjudicated youth. Mm. They were the ones that had gotten in trouble, and it was either jail or their program. Right. I think we had like 125 kids. Well, she got involved, asked me to get involved. She became the executive director, and then I became a consultant to them. Right, right. And I was doing entrepreneur training, which turned into multimedia training, and that lasted for about five years. And then, because I was with the Learning for Life Explorer program, mm -hmm. I merged that program into what I was doing. Oh, okay. Right, which made sense. Yeah. Right? And as a result of that... We end up getting a National Youth Development Award. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, you know, that took us to a whole new level. But for me, from an experiential standpoint, what was happening was I was seeing kids that 
I knew had the potential to do great things, yeah. actually do great things. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, the story I commonly use is a young man, his name is Kirby. Mm-hmm. And he's got to be grown by now, but he was 13 years old and he was he had to take medications. Mm-hmm. He was always active, always talking, disturbing, and they would always take him out of the sessions and stuff. And one day I realized this young man was brilliant. So they were taking him in and out of the session. And, and you know, when you're doing stuff with government, it's kind of like you have to pre-test before you put them into the activity and then you post-test them at the end to see sure. what they learn, right? Mm-hmm. So we were doing that. This kid would come back in after being gone the majority of the time and would knew everything that went on right. without even being present. Wow. <laughs> so I looked at him one day and I said, you know, Kirby, you're brilliant. Yeah. And the minute I said that to him, I could see his face change. I didn't know what it meant, but I could definitely see a change in him. So I went on after five years and at some point, Kirby had ended up coming on to the America Dream radio show that I host. Right. And he's 16 years old now. And Kirby had completed an internship with the county prosecutor's office. Wow. And yeah. I'm going, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know? But there are a lot of stories. He's, he's the one I remember the most because of the in and out that he had. I realized that all these kids had the potential to do great things. If they yeah. could stand on the corner and sell drugs and risk their lives, that's some gumption. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, and they could apply that to anything. So that kind of made me want to kind of refocus all of my energies onto the youth mm-hmm. and also leveraging my business experience. Yeah. And that's so we met at WCDC, the, the Child yes. Development Center. You know, I worked there over the summers, but you would come in mm-hmm. and do multimedia, you would do art. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what that was like for you, especially younger kids. You have been doing this for years. You know, what was that like to be able to transition into working with younger people, how you've engaged with them a lot longer than I have. You know, <laughs> the I two lo- years I, that I did it, I, I loved it, you know, uh, when I was doing hey, it. So hey, I get where you're coming from. Oh, yeah, so. but I love the question because, you know, mm-hmm. people don't ask me that question. The reason I love the question is because I'm a big kid. You know, I mean, raising our daughters was fun for me. I didn't want to work doing corporate stuff anymore. (laughs) I wanted to (laughs) hang around, you know, my kids and have fun. Mm. And as a result of that, you know, they were able to, or we were able to have a lot of very, very valuable experiences together and actually grow. So Mm. I was introduced to the Woodbury Child Development Center in 96 when Phyllis Folk became the director. I believe Gwendolyn Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's you know used to be a resident of Woodbury, yeah, and active on city council. Councilwoman, yeah. And she introduced me to her, and I started just kind of being there as a, a support. So I got involved in a health symposium that they did on an annual basis. Hmm. But I was always there. I would always like be there as, as much as I possibly could. I became very close to Phyllis Folk, the mm-hmm. director, and almost to a point of being a mentor and advisor. Hmm. And I didn't think about it then. Yeah, she pointed it out, <laughs> right? But anyway, I did that, and and always they would ask me to come in and read to the kids. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, an opportunity came up through PSCNG to do the multimedia, and she used a proposal, a program that I had written up mm-hmm. on multimedia, as part of the grant application, and we won. You know, and we did that a few times. So I found myself in there teaching these kids multimedia. The experience to me was really just an extension of what I was doing with the kids, our kids. Sure. Of course, they weren't my kids, so I couldn't go so far. Right, right. But it was really just an extension of raising our, our kids and having just as much fun interacting with them. Hmm. And I have to say this because with our first daughter, I started teaching her the computer at one years old. She was a premature baby, right? And I always had her around me while I was working. This is before we came to Woodbury. And at one years old, I started 
sitting on my lap and teaching her the computer by just taking her fingers and just hitting keyboards and saying the keys. Well, while she was still one years old, she started reading the letters off boxes. And I went like, whoa, wait a minute. Looked at the wife said, are you serious? Uh-huh. Is she reading? Yeah, she's reading. <laughs> well, I took it to the next level. Next thing, I got her own keyboard to play with. Mm. And I bought all this software for kids to learn. Right. So we moved to Woodbury, and she's like three and a half years old. At that point in time, she was actually writing stories and doing animations on the computer. Wow. Right? Now, you can see why the Child Development Center was such an extension, right? Uh Oh, yeah. It was like, wait a minute. (laughs) We could do this with all kids. So the second daughter was more of just a lot of play with her in, mm-hmm. in traveling because we traveled all over the place. I did like a quarter million miles with those kids Wow! because I wasn't doing the other travel. I was doing the travel with them. I sure. took them everywhere. And as a result of that, you know, they had experiences that were just phenomenal for mm. young people to have. And even to this day, they're very, very comfortable with any type of person at any level, in any kind of environment. Mm. I wanted to bring that to every kid and I still do. Yeah. You know, so the Woodbury Child Development Center became that outlet for me to do that. And like I said, it was different because I only had so much time with the kids. But even the little bit of time that I had, I tried to make it impactful, knowing yeah. that a child one, two, three years old, having an impactful experience can last the rest of their life. And I based that on my own experience because at three and a half years old, my aunt was watching me or taking care of me in New York. And I still remember walking through New York, getting on the train and the brownstones. Yeah. So I figured all kids right. had that, you know. So I would sure. try to create those kind of impactful mm-hmm. experiences for anybody's kid, right. even to this day, and hoping that you know they would hold on to those experiences and that, that at some point when they get to that fork in the road, they have right. an alternative to the wrong road versus the right. That's road. awesome. Yeah, I remember when I was three and a half, Leapfrog was probably the biggest thing. You know, those little schoolhouse mm-hmm. rock videos and things like that. That's awesome, though, that you take basically your work from you know it's derived from just how you've lived your life as a a father and you know a family man that's Mm -hmm. amazing yeah well family was always important to me and Mm -hmm. because we had a large family my father's side my mother's side and we grew up close together they grew up together as as friends and they got married and it was kind of like it evolved in for me into more of not just family but community Mm. as family yeah so when i moved to woodbury i, I was introduced to all the neighbors and right. they come over and use our fax machines because we had office we only right. place on woodbury on, on the street that, that had, had all yeah. this office equipment uh-huh. so we offered it to the people and mm. just kind of built the whole community around the business you yeah know, extended it even though the business had scaled down yeah it, we're probably more active mm. and of course the, the resources you know, it's always one of those kind of things where universal laws use what you have sure. you know first and build off of that mm. so moving to Woodbury gave us a lot more resources locally to deal with and I wanted to build and build and build so it went from the business to working and volunteering in the community to working mm-hmm. with the kids and I'm still working with the kids yeah <laughs> it doesn't stop so I think I don't know if it was the first year or the second year that I was at WCDC, but we stopped by Rowan, mm-hmm. where you showed off the radio station to mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how that kind of developed. The multimedia program was established while I was in Camden. You know, that five years working with the community, uh, Camden Community Connections program. Right. It started off as an entrepreneurial program that I put together. Mm. But I, I learned very quickly that the kids were gravitating more towards the technology side. So I spung it to be more multimedia driven. Right. And we would take groups of kids to the radio station. We had uh, Rowan Radio involved. We had Camden County College involved. 
and we would take these tours on one in one case in Rowan, and then at Camden County we did like a six week program with different groups. They would right. come in for six weeks, three or six weeks, I don't recall now. And we would teach them how to come up with public service announcements hmm. from scratch. Their issues, they would discuss it, they would write it, and then they'd record it. Hmm. So, you know, we did that for a good long time and and I think what happened I ended up leaving after seven years, the Learning for Life program with Scouts. And then we shifted everything, that particular part of the program, to Rowan Radio. Okay. Where before it was just a tour of the station. Now it's a six-week program. Right. We still do that six-week program. With, with the Woodbury Child Development Center, it became a full day from 10 to mm-hmm. 2. Yep. We haven't done it since uh, last year. but. Uh, okay. Yeah, that we've been maintaining that too. Where the kids yeah. come in in the morning, they go to the radio, then they go to the TV station, and yeah. they're doing all that stuff. I tell you, it's, it's pretty awesome though, uh, Jared, mm-hmm. because I'm at the high school now. A lot of the older kids that with the Woodbury Child Development Center are there, and yeah. a lot of the younger ones are coming in. Right, <laughs> and it's kind of cool because it's they're a like, great "Oh yeah, I know." Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I see some of the kids still around from from here and there, and they still recognize me. I mean, just even seeing the um, you know the impact that you have on students and and, and children, and when they grow up, you know, mm-hmm. when they get older, mm-hmm. and seeing how that's developed and the kind of fruits of their labor oh yeah you know and just knowing that you had a small part in it that's oh gotta yeah be incredible oh yeah it, it, it is it's the it's the fuel that keeps me going yeah when you see these kids kind of grow up and they're actually doing and using these, yeah you know the skill set because the one thing about the multimedia that uh, a lot of people don't talk about even at the college level is that in multimedia you get core leadership skills right now, i knew it right away because i did so much leadership coaching and all that kind of stuff sure. it was an easy one how do i teach these kids how to uh, be creative, how do I develop that ability in them, how do I teach them good, strong communication skills, how do I teach them you know, organizational skills. Those are three major qualities yeah. of leaders, and you do it all in multimedia. But colleges don't teach that. I right. Do. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I went to but a it's all there. <laughs> yeah. In addition to the technology. Sure. You know, but those core skills are there. They yeah. have to deal with the organization because you can't put one thing before another to get a message right. out correctly. You have to use your creativity. And I've watched kids that even in uh, the recent week, past weeks, kids that I'm working with at the high school will say, well, I don't want to stand up and speak. Mm-hmm. Within two weeks, they stand up and speaking. Yeah. I don't even realize that, that it happened. <laughs> you know? And with the little ones, because at the Child Development Center, they were like four years old starting. Yeah. And they left around 10 or 11. Right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? That's a long time. Dude. That's a long time, yeah. right? And you, when you see them you know, and you get them involved in stuff at this level, because I have that opportunity now at the high school, mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible. Oh, That's yeah. Awesome. There's a young lady, Melanie, who she's at the high school, sixth grade now, and she's part of multimedia. And I had her introduce the program to the newer kids. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do it. You know, just like yeah, that. You know, right. and she goes, oh, yeah, I was four years old when I started. And <laughs> I was able to do this, 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 right. this, this, this. And I'm going, my mind's like, Whoa, yeah, eight years wait later. Is right? <laughs> That's insane. It is. That's you know? awesome. And, and she felt very comfortable with anything that was going down. I'm like, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to be able to have that ability or opportunity to see that happen. That's wonderful. At that level. And there's like, there's bunches of them. Yeah. One kid, uh, he's actually, uh, I don't recall his first, Miles is his name. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm looking at him and I'm going, I know you. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, it was at the Child Development Center. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay, there's another one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I've bumped into, you know, at Lot 323 or just walking down the street, I'll bump into kids and i like, you're you're that kid from, you know, that one summer? They're like, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, too, because, you know, like you said, there are things that you do just kind of as a part of the day, you know, just as part of the routine. This was a part of the program or the curriculum that we had to do that day. But if you bump into a kid four or five years later and they're like, oh, we did that one science experiment with you. That was so cool. Yeah. Like you said, it sticks into the back of their mind and oh, you yeah. know that there's something really great that you're doing for, for people to hang on to. Absolutely. For those listening out there, we, we adults really need to be conscious of that. Mm. You know, I, I always say we don't know how we impact people. Right. So it's best to be on your best all right. the time. Right. Because you really don't know how you impact people. And and I'm always I always try to be conscious of that. Yeah. Especially around young people because they really soak up everything. And if they are in a situation where they have an image or a character that has made a positive impression on them, you wouldn't be surprised how quickly they would go to that image, you know, that impression and make a decision at that point in their life because wow. they have that. Right. You know, not everybody's fortunate enough to have those positive images impact right. their lives. You know, so they don't, you know, they'll go the one way because that's all they ever had. Right. And, and in this case, you're making a positive impression at every opportunity. It mm-hmm. gives those kids an out. Yeah. And I've seen that with so many. It's unbelievable. That's awesome. So we're talking about this impression that you're having kind of on an individual level, but you do a lot of work throughout the community. Mm-hmm. And like you said, regionally, nationally, tell me what it's been like with your experience specifically with community development and how you've seen that grow in Woodbury over the, the number of years that you've been here. There's, there's a few things with that because I learned through the scouts very early that if you want to get to the adults, you do it through the children. That's right. Right. So I approached it from that standpoint. I threw everything I could possibly throw at these kids and they were just rising. Right. Mm-hmm. Next, you know, we're getting calls from the merchants. We're getting calls from Main Street. We're getting calls from these people to have the kids come out and do stuff, walk in a parade, yeah. you know, provide services, blow up balloons, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Now, what that did for the community, it gave the community a real sense of togetherness because it was a diverse group of kids. Right. And I could see it. You could yeah. physically see yeah. it. You know, when we'd walk the parade, the, the National Guard would, you know, have the kids jump on the truck, you know, uh-huh. and everybody would like be, be behind them. I'd be walking down the street with the kids and everybody's clapping because right. here's this guy with all these girls. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had major support. I mean, yeah. it was, I, I don't recall, I think it was the Merchants Association. They had the Santa House on the corner right. of Aberdeen, which is mm-hmm. the street we lived on. And uh, they approached me and said, look, you know, we see what you're doing. We want to give you the keys to Santa House. What was happening is during Christmas season, Santa would be there and they would take pictures. People in the public would take pictures with Santa for five bucks. Right. right? Well, they gave me the keys and you take it and you make the money for your Girl Scout troop. Really? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We made so much money (laughs) that we actually, because I was the chairperson for uh, the whole South Jersey region. Right. We actually shared it with the whole region. Okay. Because I, you know, I had brownies. Right. right. (laughs) Our our account got up to like $750 and we we weren't spending a penny of it. Right. Right. We were also getting donations from like Rite Aid would give us, uh, every holiday season, Rite Aid would give us all their candy that was not sold out. Oh, wow. So I'm picking up big trash, these big cans of yeah. uh, plastic containers of candy. <laughs> my basement's full with stuff. It's uh-huh. like, what are we going to do Talk with Talk about this? being a big kid. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Didn't touch that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But it was one of those kind of things where you could see everybody wanting right. to uh, make it right for these kids. Right. 
you know, and that brought everybody together. Yeah, that's incredible. It is yeah. pretty much so. I've always, you know, I come from the community development background. I've always looked at it as can't have community development without economic development, Absolutely. right? And vice versa. Talk to me about how those two blended for you because you were in both of those worlds, That's right. especially in Woodbury. How did those two blend for you? Well, again, that was easy because having my background being I was a young entrepreneur, 17 years old. Right. I've always worked, even as a kid, you know, because in the Moorish American culture, and that's another topic, but mm -hmm. you were brought up to be independent, mm -hmm. which meant that you could walk, you could work. Right. You know, so three years old, four years old, you are always doing something. Yeah. And I tell people the story. You know, by the time I was eight years old, I, I was I was I was aspiring to work. Yeah. I was aspiring to get my own, you know, car, my own apartment. Yeah. I wanted to be old enough to get a job mm -hmm. and get my working papers. You know, right. And that drew, drew me. It drew, yeah. kind of was a driving force. And so by the time I got to Woodbury and started working with the kids, it was an easy thing to see the two come together. Mm. It's like I'm working with the business, I'm working with the kids, but also see I saw it then, I still see it now. I see the youth as the new wealth of the nation. In other words, you take that compulsion, that inner drive to learn and produce that you have as a child. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did a, a session with Axel uh, last night, Gloucester County Axel training. I talked about the two-year-old who wants to get from one point to another point. Mm -hmm. When that two-year-old, that toddler wants to get from point A to point B, you cannot stop them. Mm -hmm. You would have to literally pick them up right. and hold them back to keep them from going to that point. Mm -hmm. And what I bring up is, where does that determination come from and why aren't we developing it? Right. They have no fear, mm -hmm. right, until it's instilled into them. Right. They have this drive to feed themselves, to talk and do all these things, no barriers, right. no concept of barriers. But instead of developing it, we start to impose the limitations on it. And then, as of course, we grow up as adult and we have all these limitations. Where if we were to develop these things, we would have some miraculous results. Wow. The business world provides those opportunities. Now, I worked with my two uncles. One had a clothing business in West Philadelphia. And the other one had a wholesale business where he provided, you know, product and stuff to retail stores. Right. And I had a chance to work with both of them. And I was probably eight, ten years old. I didn't do all that, but I was young. Right. But the exposure was there. And as a result of that exposure, I literally had that business. My father had a dry cleaning business. He was a tailor. And mm -hmm. I have all these uncles and aunts all independent, right? Right. Now, the only difference I see in, in that versus now is I, I didn't see them as very, very conscious of what I was all about. Right. They could have given me any kind of task and I would have done it. Sure. But they treated me like a kid. Mm. Well, I learned differently with our daughters. Give them a task and they're going to do it. Right. If you don't, if you don't put, impose a limitation on mm -hmm. them, they will not have a limitation. So as a result of that, <laughs> I, we came, I came up with this economic development plan for the city of Woodbury mm. that incorporated businesses with the need of support, perhaps not being able to afford it, and youth who had the desire to excel in a particular thing. And you match them up. And there's a third piece of this. The third piece of this is using our public resources, like our schools and colleges. Right. Now, the idea was if we have a school or college and they have resources, we, you know, Woodbury School District is very strategically located. Right. Different parts of Woodbury. You have the high school in the center of town. Mm -hmm. They have gyms. They have playgrounds. Mm -hmm. They have kitchens. They have all these resource classrooms that in certain parts of the year are just there, dormant. Right. Now, if I was a business that needed to be able to do, you know, uh, 
let's say I wanted to do a presentation or some kind of event showing off my product, mm-hmm. I would probably have to find some location outside of the area right. to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. You know, And it would cost me to do this and sure. cost me to do that. And I, next thing you know, I won't You're do it. You're racking it up. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you don't do it. You, yeah. you figure out it's going to cost you too much to do that. Where we have the resources right here. Right. You have the physical locations, the venues. You mm-hmm. have... Uh, a good mix of businesses to participate, and you have young people who are aspiring to be whatever it is they're aspiring to be. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you take advantage of them. What it does, though, is it gives them a platform, a foundation mm. for wherever they want to go. Okay, let me try social media as mm-hmm. uh, a kid and do it for a local business. Let me, let me see if I can pull that off. Well, yeah, they can pull it off because I know I saw it with our daughters. Anything right. I threw at them, they would get it. And if you guide them to do it correctly, even in the Woodbury Child Development Center, very few people understood that these kids could do professional work. I remember when PSENG came to the Woodbury Child Development Center after they gave us a grant, and they came down into the computer room, and they saw the software that looked like professional software. Yeah. I said, well, yeah, they don't know it's professional software. Right, right. <laughs> right. They're going to just learn it and do it. You right. know, it's that simple. Right. And if you show them professional work, how to, how to tweak something to make it look professional, they're just going to do it. Right. They don't have, uh, you know. Any sense of no. that it's wrong. <laughs> right. And, and that's the advantage or the opportunity I feel that we're, we're missing out mm. by looking at children as children and, and limiting their ability. Yeah. Because they have no sense of limitation. Hmm. So if you take them to the level of, and I, like I said, I've seen it. I've seen it with so many young people, our daughters included, where you expose them to these things at a mature level. They would do it at a mature level. The only issue becomes they see beyond it. Now they're giving you ideas because this thing should be working a lot better. I remember one, one day our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, she was like maybe seven or eight. She walks over to me and she's looking at a computer screen. She had her own little cubicle just like, you know, Over, everybody office, else right. in the office, uh-huh. right? And on computer and a desk, right? And, and a chair, right? And she comes over. She says, Dad, I'm trying to move this on the screen over here. And it won't do it. She's literally taking her fingers, trying to drag <laughs> something across the screen, you know. And this is before touch screens, you know, right. that kind of uh-huh. stuff. This is what she's seeing, right? Uh-huh. And I looked at her, and I made myself aware that this young lady had seen something right. that she saw as possible and you better not say it's not possible. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. So my response was, we don't have one of those yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's coming though. It's, it's coming, coming though. <laughs> that's great. And and that's what you find in young people. And mm-hmm. anybody could test this out. I mean, you could take a young person, the younger the better, mm-hmm. and say, I'll create for me, uh, I want you to create a dingbat that flies with one wing and rolls over. Mm-hmm. And they're, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't think that it's impossible. No. Yeah. You don't know what they're seeing in their head, right. but they're going to produce something. Right. They're going to accept it and they're going to move in that direction. Hmm. Think about that missed opportunity now. Yeah. What we could be doing with our young people. And when I say they're the new wealth of the nation, yeah, they are. Yeah. Because they're born with this high technology now, these phones right. in their pockets that have access to all kinds of information. The issue that we have is the use of this technology is pretty much dictated by the adults. Yeah. We're telling them social media. We're telling them this. That's the stuff we put out there. That's the stuff That's, they do. Right. But if we were to clean their slate mm-hmm. and say, look, here's the thing. Do what you want with it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the possibilities. Oh, we did it last night uh, with, uh, these are all high school kids, 13 to maybe 17. And I've, I've done this exercise for years, but I'll give them a little exercise and allow them to brainstorm a particular topic. And they come up with these ideas within three and a half minutes. And then they develop it within another, you know, five, 10 minutes. And then they present it. 
And it's amazing to watch how young people will take something bogus and then make it realistic and effective and practical yeah. in a short period of time. Not realizing that major companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars to get that done, but not in minutes. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. And I wonder, I mean, have, from your experience, have you found that shorter time frames make it more exciting, more innovative, or maybe well, not necessarily more effective or efficient? Well, here's the thing. We all operate in, and this is not new to any generation, we all operate in the moment, pretty mm. much. Either pulling something from the past or anticipating something for the future. But it's something that you have in front of you right now. Mm. So the example I used is if you're in college or you're in school and you're going to take an exam, typically you had weeks to study this particular topic, mm. right? And now the exam is going to be within that one period, 45 minutes or whatever that thing is. Sure. Now, what we have just done is taken weeks of information and pulled it down and made it accessible to us on demand within 45 minutes. Right. Now, what I say to students when I'm talking to them, you took a semester full of information mm -hmm. and pulled it down on demand to produce for you this test mm -hmm. and these answers in 45 minutes. Right. Why aren't we teaching how to develop that ability? Right. I wish we could teach it for myself. Because some of those exams that I take, <laughs> that's a really interesting way to look at it, though. Yeah, but you are gathering all this information right. to pull it down. In one moment. In one moment. Yeah. But yet we don't look at developing that ability. And I mean, do you think, again, we're kind of talking on an individual level with, with children, with youth, but again, on a, on a larger scale, how does that look? Is that possible? Oh, of course it's possible. When I look at uh, Woodbury today as a community, you know, what's in my heart at this point in time is getting these kids involved. Every youth program that I've been involved in, every youth organization, there's been a lot of them. They all miss one piece, the effectiveness of the youth. If you really, really, really have that purpose of making them effective, they will have a direct impact on their homes and communities. That's how you know. If it's just them and their character and they get good grades, a lot of programs can do that. But if you're really addressing the basic needs of these kids, you're going to see an impact, positive impact on a family. And what I mean by that is this, Jerry. You go to school, elementary school, six, seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. High school, six, seven hours a day. The issues that, are, that impact you are the personal issues when you leave there. Right. There's a world that is making you who you are. Right. Right. From... Preschool to graduating high school, six, seven hours a day. And every day you go into school and you leave with no more capability to handle your personal life than you did the first, you know, when you got there in the morning mm. after years. So the thinking needs to be, <laughs> how do I take this kid who's here for seven hours and give them more tools and ability to impact or at least manage their personal life better? Mm. What would that look like? That's a big question. And a lot of my generation is asking it. Well, the answer is pretty darn easy. Here I am with this, and I'm talking about young people in general. You mm -hmm. know, I'm 13 years old. I'm very sensitive to what's going on out there in the world. You know, very touchy because I get bullied. I get this, you know, home life is not supported. Whatever's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And I go to school, and then the six, seven hours that I'm there, I come out with a more ambition to tackle that project or to tackle yeah. those issues, to tackle that. After how many years? Right. What would you be after three years of that? Right, right. <laughs> after a week of that. Uh-huh. A small Obama, maybe. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And look at the response down to the, the family and the community. Yeah. Because all it takes is one. It takes one person within a household to make a positive impact, whether it be the mother, father, or a child. You know, when you, if you were to do a little bit of research to find out some of the great 
children minds you're going to see families that were transformed because the kids had these special talents so the opportunity exists it's just that our education system is not focused on that particular point right and i and i do talk about it a lot recently since i've been at the high school first we need to work on the personal development side get Mm -hmm. these kids at the earliest possible age to be able to handle the conditions outside because they're dreaming within themselves. Right. They're seeing pictures of beauty. They're seeing pictures of happiness. They're seeing pictures of things that we can never imagine. Right. But then they get pulled into these other things, the weights yeah. of the adult world, not their world. And anybody that's made any kind of major contributions to the advancement of humanity, they were able to maintain that level of creativity and drive all throughout history. Yeah. And you're talking about schools and and systems. What does that look like to be able to string that along? You have these systems, these school settings, like you said, that the adults are the ones in charge of the technology, for instance. How do you find these spaces in the systems to break down those barriers and allow that creativity to flow into adulthood. You know, I myself personally find that there are institutions that do set up, maybe not consciously, but do have barriers set up that inhibit a person's ability to innovate and to create positively and to imagine on a new level. What does that look like in terms of being able to either navigate them with more success or to to simply break some of them down? I'm going to use my own personal experience because that's what I apply today even. You know, with the background that I had growing up as a youth, well, I'll just say it the way it was. As a Moor, you were taught you were a child of God. You can do anything God can do, right? Now, I'm talking three, four, five years old, and I'm hearing this. You couldn't use the word can't. Mm. You know, it was like you slapped in heavy doors, can't. Now, mm-hmm. I'm growing up in this environment, and I'm watching people around me working and doing things, and everybody's ambitious and want to be independent and all. Mm-hmm. And you grow up, and this mindset where you're 15 years old, you know, you're paying rent, and mm-hmm. you're buying your own school clothes, and you're preparing right. to get the car. You haven't even got it into high school yet. Right. And you're doing all this stuff. And then you get out there, and this is graduating high school. And I had this ambition. You know, I had all this talent, art, talent, drawing, writing, singing, martial arts. And I didn't, I had a business, right? But this business required a lot of different skills for us mm-hmm. to be able to make this thing work. So I started studying and, and finding places where I can knock on people's doors and get people to teach me stuff, right? Everywhere I went and knocked on doors, people would open the door for me. Why? Because I was a young kid with right. a lot of ambition and yeah. drive. A young kid with a lot of ambition and drive. The younger, the better. Doors fly open like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? yep. You know, so at 19 years old, I'm being asked to be a consultant at 19. Right? Right? I met Patty LaBelle at 19. She invited no, me to really? a party. Yeah. <laughs> Introduced me to, to Gloria Gaynor, who was a superstar back then. Right. Grace Jones was a wow. superstar back then. Because I'm this young kid uh-huh. in this, this environment and I'm holding my own. Right. So she said, Yeah, you know, look, come up to our room. You know, we're having a party. I'm like, wow. Now, you put that in perspective. Mm-hmm. If I'm meeting people like that, you, know, you ever hear of the uh, old school band called the Tramps? Mm-hmm. Disco Inferno was a popular tune, right? right? Yep. Well, we booked them and had them at McGuire Air Force Base. Wow. <laughs> you know, we were probably one of the biggest advertisers on WDS-FM at the time. Yeah. Still a kid, though. Yeah. But I'm having those experiences now, here I'm going into my own company, and I have to stand before HR people and, and, right. and, and CEOs. Imagine. I'm looking at like them, they're nobody to me uh-huh. because I have already been exposed at a very young age to right. be at that level. And it was nothing then because I didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. So to sit across from a CEO is like, okay. Um, like sitting across from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And, and I knew, you know, I could sense when people were like, okay, who's this young guy? What's he going to do? In my mind, I'm sitting there the whole time thinking I'm going to take your seat. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And 
That worked for me, and it still works for the kids today. Maya Grantham is a young lady that I've been mentoring since she's like 11, 12 years old. She'll be 23 in March. And when I met her, I could tell that she was advanced. Her mom may not have known, but I knew. Right. By the way she was talking, I said, this young lady's packing some stuff, you know. Mm. So I basically approached her mom and said, can I work with her? So we took her into the radio station. She spent months just in production talking. That's all. And at the end of that, she asked, can she be a permanent part of what I was doing with the American Dream? And I said, you know what? If she's going to be a part of it, it has to be a role, a significant role. Right. So at 13 years old, she became the first co-host to the American Dream radio show. With that, in, in the same year, she beat out senior high school students in a pageant. With that, she went on to open up for major acts as a spoken uh, word artist, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, she ended up, we ended up sending her to New York to my our daughter in New York for a summer camp. So the whole summer she was doing a like summer dance camp and she came back even more yeah. you know, powerful. That's what I'm talking about. When you identify what the talents or ambitions of a youth and you get behind them, mm. they don't know any better, but they develop it. And the mindset, the confidence that they get, you know, the, the foresight, the ability to go and no one has ever gone. Right. Well, it happened with me to the point where, let me see, I, I'm probably 22, 23 years old when I started developing my own business methods. Mm-hmm. By 30 years old, I had them pretty much sound. And what that means is I was running across a lot of businesses were just not ethical. Mm. And I didn't understand why they went unethical. I didn't understand it. You know, why are these people trying to cheat me? Why are they taking my proposals? And, mm-hmm. You know, all this kind of stuff. It was upsetting, actually. Yeah. You know, so my response to it was, well, let me just create this system that does it the right way. Right. Using spiritual principles and all that. So I came up with this thing, all these different methodologies and stuff. And I was using them the whole time, but I never really solidified it. And I solidified these things. I took it over to a fellow over in Philadelphia who was the head of the marketing department at Community College Philadelphia. He threw it up against the wall and it stuck and worked, right? So I'm like, okay, we're good. I already knew it would work. It was more of, I need to substantiate this thing. A good confirmation. Right. As an example, I work with a 19-year-old who started a manufacturing company in a room no bigger than this. Within three and a half years, he had a three and a half million dollar company. I, I was at Wharton School doing a series, a small business series, and I set up in front, purposely set up in front. And as the lecturers would ask questions and interact, I was the one doing it. There was a guy behind me that, that owned the company, National Energy Control Corporation, and his name was Kirk Farrell. Well, he's behind me, and he's like, he comes up to me after the series. He says, wait a minute, you know just as much as these guys. We need to talk. Well, they hired me as a consultant, and I was there 10 years. Their first year, they went from 4.7 to 6.2 million. Wow. I had a home for life. Right. <laughs> Through them... A company called Johnson Controls, was a, at the time was a $2.5 billion company, came out to Philadelphia to see what I was doing, mm. and they hired me. Now, I'm saying all that to say that those early experiences, when you don't know the difference, you don't think in terms of limitations, actually galvanated into this person right. that was, they used to call me Teflon Man, because <laughs> nothing would stick. Right, you know, right, it was, right. All the negative stuff would stick. I just I had a focus, and that focus allowed me to develop these methods and these strategies that no one else actually thought of at the time. And like I said, by the time I got to Woodbury, I was ready to roll it out big yeah. time. And then, of course, backed off because of the daughters. But what it did for me because of the daughters was it put me in a position to put it out there for the kids, right. knowing that it would have an impact on the economy. Wow. Well, we're coming up on the end of our uh, 
our session. But I wanted to ask any final thoughts that you wanted to share with our listeners about Woodbury, about your work, about youth engagement, multimedia, any other thing under the sun that you haven't figured out yet? (laughs) (laughs) There's a huge need for adults to realize what this thing life is all about. A part of my, I'm going to call it a ministry. Part of my ministry is to first get people back to God, but also be able to get adults to understand that it is so important for them to develop themselves as virtuous individuals, especially in working with youth. The biggest issue I feel that there is for youth today is the need of morality. And you can only teach the morality with people who are virtuous. Every teacher should be a virtuous person. Every boss should be a virtuous person. Anybody involved in youth, in essence, everybody should be virtuous. But when you're involved in youth because they soak up so much, you really can't blame them for the way they act. People say, well, they can make decisions. But yeah, the decisions they make don't hold weight because who's the example? Mm. In other words, I'm demanding of you as a young person that you perform and behave a certain way of character, but I'm not doing it. How's that going to work? You know, we're bombarded by so much negativity. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And to, to, to see and hear adults talk about youth as though they, the adults got it right. It's not right because they still unhappy and the kids are going, wait a minute, why am I listening to you? You're not happy. You don't Uh have it together. Yeah, you had the big car. You had the great job. You got all that kind of crazy stuff going on. Now, relate that to Woodbury. Because Woodbury is so small but very dense town, you can achieve in Woodbury in record time. Would, would not be possible anything anywhere else. And I proved that myself, personally. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and that's what makes Woodbury so important to me. And mm-hmm. we, can, we can hurdle over just about anything that's, that's hitting us out there because it's very small and things get around very quickly. I mean, if there's mm-hmm. a crime going on, you can almost not even have to go to yep. the, I mean, it's done, it's out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. and, and those are unique situations that if you look at a major city like Philadelphia, New York, each area of those cities is like a small Woodbury. You just have to do the research to kind of figure it out how it yep. links together. But we can do that here in Woodbury and definitely demonstrate to the rest of the world how to become the greatest it can be, I think. I, b- I really believe that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Dr. L. This is great. I'm having a blast, I'm telling you. <laughs> Try and make stuff. it fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I the, appreciate uh, it. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much to Dr. L and all of his incredible insights. I hope that you follow his work throughout the city and continue to engage the city's youth and open doors for them. I once saw an interesting Twitter thread that I want to share. It said that you watched a generation grow up on a diet of Harry Potter, Hunger Games, and Marvel movies. You stripped away their jobs, their futures, and then backed the most cartoonish supervillain in history for president. And you're shocked the children are fighting back? Really? You followed the damn script to a T. You pumped up millions of kids for two decades to believe that they and their friends could make a difference. Then you thrust them all into a dystopian nightmare of violence and persecution. And now, you're shocked they're all Katniss. Get them, children. Leave no one standing. After two decades of people telling me that I would one day be a great leader and told that my generation and the generation after me was the future, we're finally here and it seems like a lot of you are all surprised. Well, the youth are here and we're ready to take on our responsibilities. I hope that you all are as well. Thanks for listening and talk soon.